0: Now, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 13. And we're going to look at the first parable in chapter 13. It's a series of seven different parables. And several years ago, someone recommended that I read Kate Murphy's book, You're Not Listening. And I'm not sure why they recommended that. I didn't really pay a lot of attention, and I didn't read it um, then, but I was reminded of the book this week when I was listening to an interview with David Brooks, who's a conservative columnist for the New York Times. And he was talking about how, you know, in his whole career, he's never seen more contention and division than he's seen at this time. And one of the things he thinks is kind of part of the, the heart of the problem is we're just not listening to one another. And he cited research from this book where they would have people come and have conversations and interactions and then they would separate them and just kind of give them a quiz on the conversation and the interaction just to see if people were listening and they would uh, quiz them on the, the content of the conversation and then see if they were picking up some of the nonverbal cues about how, you know, what were people thinking, how were they uh, feeling about a conversation and they found out that most P, or the kind of the average that people were right about twenty percent of the time. So that means in normal conversation, people are misinterpreting you eighty percent of the time. That was the average. So there were certain the kind of really highly relational people who would get things right about fifty percent of the time, but a huge, a a, a, large, a shocking majority or, or, or group uh, got would get things right 0% of the time, (laughs) zero, and think, man, how can this be? And one of the shocking things they saw is that often people in the closer the relationship didn't necessarily mean the better uh, communication. And one of the things they found is that even for husband and wives, that in some cases, the longer they were married, the worse they were at hearing the other. And I don't really know why. just kind of speculate and think, well, maybe it's because we kind of craft these mental models of the person and we filter everything through that and we don't actually listen. And one of the things she talks about in this book, she kind of opens it up with kind of a, um, she says, you know, think about your life. When was the last time you really listened to someone? Where you really listened? Not where you were thinking, you know, where you pulled out your phone or you were thinking about what you'd say next, but you really listened. Or when was the last time you felt that someone was really listening to you? Someone was telling me about their and their job. Their boss was um, wanted to kind of pour into them and wanted to create space so they could they could speak to them, and it's very admirable. So what they decided is the boss was going to take take the take the employees out to lunch once a once a week, and uh, as they talked about it, you know, so for two years they had once a week they'd go to lunch. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, they were, they were thankful because it was the best lunch they got all week. But uh, on the other hand, it actually had the opposite effect because they said they never, ever once left where they felt like he heard what they were saying. It had the opposite effect. And you know what, what the effect it has on you where you feel like you're not heard. And one of the things she talks about in this book, how probably one of the most important things is going to determine how well you learn, how well you love, and how well you live is your ability to hear? Do you listen? And of course, this isn't new with her book. Maybe Kate was just been listening to Jesus. Because that's his primary point in this parable in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm convinced this is not just an isolated thing that he talks about here. This is one of the big themes of the entire Bible. That the most important thing about us is whose voice are we listening to? Are we going to listen to God's voice or the one who says, has he really said? Did he really say? In my own Bible reading this week, I've been going through the book of Jeremiah and a couple of things have really struck me. One is Jeremiah is a really hard book to know what's going on. But one of the things about it is probably the main character is not Jeremiah. The main character is the word of the Lord. And it's the word of the Lord who comes and the most important thing for the people or anyone is how do they respond to the word of the Lord as it comes. So that's what this parable is all about. We read through the whole section 15 different times. You hear the word to hear, to hear, to hear. And what it's going to do is it's going to unravel some of life's mysteries and help us understand, all right, how does his kingdom come? Why are there such different responses to Jesus's word? And then what does it mean to be open and receptive so we can live a fruitful life? So let's first set up a couple things. First, I want you to notice, look in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. So remember the context: he was in the house speaking to his disciples. Now they go out into the world. So the word is going out into the world. He's going to go sit in a boat and start speaking. Maybe it's like coming into an elementary school cafeteria and sitting at a lunch table and start speaking. You hear the word. And then over and over the key is, do you hear? Do you hear? Do you hear? Let's set it up. Look in verse 13. And if you uh, followed along or were with us when we were only meeting digitally, one of my favorite things was when I'd kind of pull up the camera and really mark up the text with the colors and the highlighters and the pins. And we want to try and figure out some way to do it here, but this would be a perfect passage to do it. Because I want you to see some of the things. But look at verse 13. And his disciples come to them and they ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And then he's going to tell them in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. The problem is they don't see, they don't hear, and they don't understand. Indeed, they, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Now, let's pull up the first slide, and this will kind of show you the structure of the Isaiah passage. So what I want you to see is how it's laid out. For this people's heart has grown dull... And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So you notice how it begins and ends with the heart problem. The problem is that the heart is dull, and then the problem is that they don't understand in the heart. It's a heart problem, and it progresses from heart to ears to eyes, then to eyes to ears to heart. So the problem is how can the word kind of get into you in such a way where it gets in, transforms the heart, and then comes out. So we have a heart problem. And so what we're going to look at is we look at the the three different soils, or four different soils. Three of them fail. Three of them don't hear. They don't listen. And so what we're going to see is there's an internal problem, a heart problem, an internal kind of uh, condition That's keeping them from hearing. And then there's an external threat that threatens them from hearing. And so if we're going to hear, if we're going to hear one another, if we're going to hear the Lord, we have to deal with the internal condition that keeps us from hearing. And then we have to deal, or we have to be on guard with the external threat. So let's pick up the first soil. Each time you want to like. what's the internal condition, what's the external threat. Let's pick up the first soil. And this first soil uh, comes from verse, let's see, in verse 4. This can y'all go to the next one? So the computer was locking up in the first service, so let's see. All right, there we go. So here the internal condition is hardness, and the external threat is that the word gets snatched away. So a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And then Jesus gives the interpretation. You know, kind of some inside baseball on, like, sermon preparation. You know, one of the things we as preachers we, uh, I don't know, love, but one of the things we like to do is you kind of take like an obscure passage. Like, let's preach on this really obscure passage in Jeremiah and then preach on it in such a way where people, ah, oh, i n- never heard that. That's so amazing. That was so good. And You know, we kind of, yeah, that's great. And, uh, but here, Jesus actually tells you the point of what he's making. So if you come up with anything other than this, then you're, you're wrong. There's, there, there's no room for creativity. So Jesus gives us the point. So first, the sower went out to sow. He sowed. And then he's going to tell us what each of them mean. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. So that's the problem. They're, they're hearing, but they're not understanding. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So you see, all right, the parallels, there's a sower who's Christ and he sows his word. That's the seed. The word is the word of the kingdom. And then the birds uh, are the evil one and the birds snatch it away if it falls on the path. So the internal problem is hardness. It can't penetrate. It's just on the surface. And then the external problem is that the birds come in and snatch it away. So one of the problems is you won't hear others and you won't hear the Lord if your your heart is hard. But I wonder if there's not some more happening here. I wonder why Jesus says some seed fell along the path, the footpath, the walkway. I mean, he could have just said fell on hard ground. But I wonder if there's not a subtle um, shot being taken at, you know, the problem here is maybe the pragmatic path. The problem is that the soil hasn't been cultivated to hear. It's, it's a place where people are just looking, all right, which way are people walking? Which way are people moving? Maybe there's an orientation problem of just looking at, all right, this is just the way uh, people are going. Either way, the first challenge is you look in the mirror, all right, am I not hearing because my heart's hard? And then is the word just snatched away? You know, do you make it easy for Satan to snatch the word from you? You know, one of the things is interesting to think about, that his primary activity in the world is to snatch the Word away. All of you right now are hearing the Word, and what, would he, what he wants to do is just snatch it so it doesn't even register. So you're thinking about a hundred different things, and it never penetrates. It's hard and snatched. Look at soil too. The challenge here is that the soil is shallow, and then the external danger becomes that it gets scorched. So we can pick up in verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depths of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. All right. And then immediately receives it with joy. So it shoots up with joy. But yet he has no root in himself. But endures only for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word. So this is the sun is tribulation is persecution. It scorches. Now it's because of the word. It's not just, you know, life is hard. It's because of believing the word. It's something that you're believing that's causing the world to persecute you or to bring difficulty. Immediately he falls away. So the problem with the heart soil is that it's shallow. There's no depth. And then the external challenge is that you get scorched. Notice the three negatives up top. The three problems is there's not much soil. It's not deep. There's no depth. And then no root. So there's no depth. There's no roots. And then the external problem is that the, they're scandalized by the word. Persecution comes because they believe it and they don't hold on to it. You see they're the two immediately's. Immediately they receive it with joy, and immediately they fall away. Easy come, easy go. And, you know, this is a scary verse because it's saying it's not enough to receive the word joyfully. There must be depth. There must be roots. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones said in 1955 that the curse of our age is that we live in a superficial age. And I don't think we've gotten a lot deeper since 1955, You know, and I wonder if one of the things, this isn't a subtle kind of attack. It's not just being shallow, but it's worth thinking about, all right, what what makes us shallow? Why are we shallow? What are the things that can cause us to lack, to, to receive joyfully, but then follow away? You know, it's one thing like we want your kids to come and to have Fun and to enjoy, love their class, love being here. We want them to receive the word with joy. But, you know, you can create a kind of whiz-bang carnival environment that's like fairytale land that they can love but doesn't produce any depth. And it's not just kids that can struggle with that. We can struggle with it as adults. You think, all right, what are the things that can cause us joy? I mean, you can have a certain type of compelling music with a compelling communicator and an amazing vision and all of these things that we can latch onto with joy. But then does it produce any depth? You know, the desire to be anchored, the desire to be rooted, the desire to be grounded. On the one hand, that can sound boring, but there is no life and stability and fruit without it. And so as we think about it, our kids, you know, we, we, we know one of the challenges. This is just a challenge for everything that's important in life. I think one of the most underrated things in life are things that are boring, I mean, we act like if a kid says, oh, this is boring, we act like that's the worst condemnation ever. So many of the best things in life just have seasons of boringness to them. So don't fear the boredom. And we've, we wrestle this even in our own family when, uh, you know, eight months where we could only meet digitally and we were creating the digital services, I think we scarred our three-year-old uh, permanently because now anytime we pull up YouTube on the television, he goes, no, I don't want to watch the church service, not the church service. So you know you are watching the church service. Do you know how long your daddy and mommy spent on this church service? <laughs> you are watching it. See, no, can't we watch Bluey? It's like, I get it. I cannot compete with an animated Australian sheepdog. (laughs) But you are going to watch it because you need it. Because the most important thing, the most important reality in your life is to know that on this day, we come into the Lord's presence to hear the Lord's word. And that word can take root. And it is what will produce all of the God-glorifying, life-giving fruit in your own heart that you need. So yes, we're watching the church service. You know, this is kind of the test of loyalty. When the persecution comes, do they hold on? And I just wonder, even in relationships, you know, uh, relationships that don't get to a place of depth because of a shallow soil, not willing to go go there. But that's the second thing. Shallow soil can be scorched. Third danger is the self-indulgent get strangled. Look at the, the next uh, verses. So in verse six and seven, you know the next is that it gets sown among the thorns. So other these seeds fell among the thorns. Let me go back. Other seeds that fell among the thorns, and then uh, the thorns grew up and choked them. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But notice what chokes it. It's the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke it away. So, in one sense, they're self-indulgent and they get strangled. That's the internal. They're surrounded, they're in a place where they're surrounded by the, the thorns and they get their eyes, get fixated on the cares of the world or the anxiety of the age. And then it's the temptation of wealth and prosperity that chokes them. So the fur, you know, the two great tests. The first one is a te- test of persecution. Do you hold on to the word when it gets hard? The other test is the test of uh, ambition, uh, the test of prosperity. Do you hold on to the word when things are good? And I wonder if there's not a more subtle thing that cares of this world, losing sight, getting fixated and focused on what the world cares about. What are the things that the world cares about and getting focused there? But it's anxiety, the anxiety of the age. Notice in all three of those soils, there's three great dangers, the classic dangers of the world, the flesh, the devil. The devil wants to come and just snatch the word so it doesn't even have a chance to get in. If he can't do that, then he's happy for it to come in as long as there's no root. And so what the world will do will burn, will scorch. And then if that doesn't kill the fruit, then there will be thorns, anxiety that are fueled by your own (coughs) seductions and temptations. That'll strangle it. So these are three kind of ways that will keep us from hearing. Internal, external. But what does it mean to be fruitful? And I love just the simple, beautiful brevity that comes with the, the, the good soil. It's good and it's fruitful. The super abundance. Pull up that next, if we can, that next uh, one on the good soil. You know, all Christians are going to bear fruit. The only question is some will bear a lot. Some will bear a whole lot, and then some are going to bear an inconceivable amount. But other seed fell on good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As for what was sown on the good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. That's the goal. You understand it. And indeed, he bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. You know, a really good harvest, a good crop would be about 30 fold. And then 60 is double, and then 100 is over triple, just inconceivable return. So, what does it mean to be good soil? You know, in one sense, it's being the opposite of, of the bad soil. Contra the first soil, it means you're soft, you're not hard. You're open. You take it in. The, unlike the second soil, you're not shallow. You're looking for depth. Uh, there's depth. Unlike the third soil, you're protective over it. You don't let anxiety and cares strangle it out. I mean, you all know what it's like to um, have anxiety and cares weighing on you in such a way where even in, with people or relationships, you want to listen you want to hear, you want to be open, but you can be so weighed down by your own anxiety that you can't hear. And these three things, it's not this way. And then the word, the word of the kingdom. But notice the central point is that they understand. And really understand is more than just a cognitive thing, like can you like pass the test? It's more of a posture. I think understanding it really means standing under. Where you stand under the word, you submit to it, you want to receive it, you're humble to hear it. And so, what does it produce? Really quickly, just kind of four lessons we can learn from the soils. One is that this is a parable of victory. You know, it shows a great harvest is coming despite all of the opposition and difficulties. You know, one of the challenges is all right, how do you do the math? So, are you accountants? So you can wrestle with this. All right, how do you do the math? Is it Are there three types of soil that fail and then one soil that's successful? So is Jesus, uh, is he one for four? Is he batting 250? Or is it 50-50 where there's three that fail and then you have three that are successful and it's a 30-60-100? So either way, it's an image of victory in the midst of seeming defeat. It's an image of victory. There's going to be triumph. There's going to be victory. There's going to be fruit that comes as 30, 60, 100 fold. And that's an encouragement for all of us because his kingdom will advance. He will build his church. His word will be, tri- will be triumph. It will accomplish what he sends it out to do. The only question is how much fruit will you display? How, what part will you play in it? There will be living, dynamic gospel presences in this community and in every community of across the globe. The question is just what part will we play in that? But it's also a parable of patience. It teaches us not to get too discouraged when things don't come about the way we think they should with the, the speed and the rapidity that they should. It moves slowly. It's also a parable of responsibility. As Christians, our responsibility is to be good hearers, where we hear, we're open, we receive, to be receptive. And as a church, it's our responsibility to sow the word. That's the most important thing we do, join Jesus as he's sowing his words, because lasting fruit only comes from the word. And it has to be implanted so it can then grow. And it's also a parable of power, because the power is there in the word. That's what brings about transformation so think about the fruit in your old your own life how much better just think the fruits of the spirit how much how how different would your life be if you had 30 fold more love in your life how much different would your life be if you had 60 fold more joy how much different would your household be if you had a hundred fold more patience I don't want to think about it. Let's go to the next one. How much different would your life be with an exponential growth of all of these things? This is the type of fruit that the word gets into us and then it can bear and bring transformation both to us and our community. So let's pray and ask the Lord to make that happen. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask that you help us to be the kind of people who are open and receptive to experience and embrace that kind of fruit. Pray that we would be good hearers who hear your word and then experience our exponential growth in love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of these things would mark us. And this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. So very quickly, I know I've gone on longer than I anticipated, but as we close, just think about how this communion represents spiritual seed that can get in you. And then as they sing, you take it in and ask the Lord to bless it to a hundredfold. So the bread represents his broken body, that his body was broken so yours can be made whole again. It represents healing. So what would it be like to have a hundredfold healing, both for you and then spread from you? And the the, the wine represents forgiveness. What would it be like to have forgiveness, uh, to experience forgiveness in such a way where it flowed out from you 30, 60, a hundredfold? Ask him to make that happen. And now may the love of a dying Savior the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.